It was for the woman whom both he and Clayton had loved, and whom a strange freak of fate had given to Clayton instead of to him. That she loved him made the thing doubly difficult to bear, yet he knew that he could have done nothing less than he did do that night within the little railway station in the far Wisconsin woods. To him her happiness was the first consideration of all, and his brief experience with civilization and civilized men had taught him that without money and position life to most of them was unendurable. Jane Porter had been born to both, and had Tarzan taken them away from her future husband it would doubtless have plunged her into a life of misery and torture. That she would have spurned Clayton once he had been stripped of both his title and his estates never for once occurred to Tarzan, for he credited to others the same honest loyalty that was so inherent a quality in himself. Nor in this instance had he erred. Could any one thing have further bound Jane Porter to her promise to Clayton, it would have been in the nature of some such misfortune as this overtaking him. Tarzan's thoughts drifted from the past to the future. He tried to look forward with pleasurable sensations to his return to the jungle of his birth and boyhood the cruel, fierce jungle in which he had spent twenty of his twenty-two years. But who or what of all the myriad jungle life would there be to welcome his return? Not one. Only Tantor the elephant could he call friend. The others would hunt him or flee from him as had been their way in the past. Not even the apes of his own tribe would extend the hand of fellowship to him. If civilization had done nothing else for Tarzan of the apes, it had to some extent taught him to crave the society of his own kind and to feel with genuine pleasure the congenial warmth of companionship, and in the same ratio had it made any other life distasteful to him. It was difficult to imagine a world without a friend, without a living thing who spoke the new tongues which Tarzan had learned to love so well. And so it was that Tarzan looked with little relish upon the future he had mapped out for himself. As he sat musing over his cigarette, his eyes fell upon a mirror before him, and in it he saw reflected a table at which four men sat at cards. Presently one of them rose to leave, and then another approached, and Tarzan could see that he courteously offered to fill the vacant chair, that the game might not be interrupted. He was the smaller of the two whom Tarzan had seen whispering just outside the smoking-room. It was this fact that aroused a faint spark of interest in Tarzan, and so, as he speculated upon the future, he watched in the mirror the reflection of the players at the table behind him. Aside from the man who had but just entered the game, Tarzan knew the name of but one of the other players. It was he who sat opposite the new player, Count Raoul de Coudé, whom an over-attentive steward had pointed out as one of the celebrities of the passage, describing him as a man high in the official family of the French minister of war. Suddenly Tarzan's attention was riveted upon the picture in the glass. The other swarthy plotter had entered, and was standing behind the Count's chair. Tarzan saw him turn and glance furtively about the room but his eyes did not rest for a sufficient time upon the mirror to note the reflection of Tarzan's watchful eyes. Stealthily the man withdrew something from his pocket. Tarzan could not discern what the object was, for the man's hand covered it. Slowly the hand approached the count, 
and then, very deftly, the thing that was in it was transferred to the Count's pocket. The man remained standing where he could watch the Frenchman's cards. Tarzan was puzzled, but he was all attention now, nor did he permit another detail of the incident to escape him. The play went on for some ten minutes after this, until the Count won a considerable wager from him who had last joined the game and then Tarzan saw the fellow back of the Count's chair nod his head to his confederate. Instantly the player rose and pointed a finger at the Count. Had I known that monsieur was a professional card-sharp, I had not been so ready to be drawn into the game, he said. Instantly the Count and the two other players were upon their feet. De Coudet's face went white. What do you mean, sir? he cried. Do you know to whom you speak? I know that I speak for the last time to one who cheats at cards, replied the fellow. The Count leaned across the table and...